No one will be admitted after the guests check in. here tonight making it work making it feel all right oh my god yas can we do a whole episode where we're just auto-tuned yas that would be <laughs> amazing gotta get it real nice and dark and spooky yeah if i ain't nudie i ain't spooky you want to rip those off first no i'm good i'm just I think, staying i think you have a i think there's a hole in here no there's not i was looking at it during the recording of that. You know, it doesn't matter. All right. You ready? Yeah. Welcome to Motel Hell. My name is Ben the Beardo, joined by... Dick Fetty. Or as normal people call him who don't know that well, Dick So Fetty. As we have established before. Once again, we are not joined by... Flex Lexa, she is still definitely not murdered. Yeah, she's not in a in a plastic bin or a porcelain bathtub decomposing in a vat of acid. That would not be what's happening. No, that's not what's happening. That's we not did not happening. sell her organs no. on the black market. No. So, um, tonight we have a very special episode coming at you. We got to do something that we'd been talking about for a while, and that's something we discussed in previous episodes, where we got to interview an acquaintance of Dick Fetty's, who is a crime cleanup, crime scene cleanup professional. Uh, crime, crime scene, well, really like a, a human biohazard cleanup technician, I think would be the most all-encompassing description of his job. So strap your butts in, we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. But uh, first we're going to do our movie review, and... Again, because of the way things worked out tonight, we, we wound up watching a movie we didn't plan on watching, but I've, I've, I heard about it when I first got into Asian cinema, or around that time, uh, and that is Takeshi Kitano's first film, Violent Cop, as it's known in, to English audiences. And Takeshi Kitano, for those who don't know, most people probably outside of Japan have their first exposure to him through Battle Royale, uh, which was one of, I would say, like the... As far as Japanese extreme cinema, and it's not even that extreme in, in retrospect, but still pretty wild uh, and, and influential in this Hunger Games society. <clears throat> one of my personal favorites. Yeah. He plays the old teacher who is the one who's sort of running things that's not from the government and has the, the daughter who berates him on the phone throughout the film. And then, you know, it's just he's so great. But he's a super famous Japanese actor and writer and screenwriter and comedian and TV show host and a bunch of other stuff. And I've basically violent cops been on my radar for a long time. I like cop movies and Yakuza films and all that kind of stuff and violence. Yeah. Right. And so I've always known it to be famously nihilistic and brutal and all those things. But I finally, it popped up in my mind the other day and I watched the preview for it. Now I've just been like dying to watch it. And flex Lexa, who's not dead has not been, desirous of, of watching it. She has not want, wanted to, to watch it with me, so... Even though she totally could, because she's definitely not dead. Exactly. And so, Ben and I wound up with the opportunity to watch it, which was a super long 
explanation. But, uh, yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was going to be a lot more violent and a lot less cop than it was. Not that that's a bad thing. It's definitely not. I think the movie was portrayed perfectly the way it is. But I, from the trailer, the trailer seemed like it just grabbed every bit of hardcore violence it could and threw it in there yeah. and took out all of the regular cop drama. Yeah. But it, it... So, yeah, I don't disagree. It was a little less violent than I expected. And I was thinking it was mid-90s. I didn't realize it was from 1989. So it's a little older than I expected. And the thing that I sort of took away from it was my expectations are so skewed because you watch a movie like Dead or Alive by Takashi Miike, which just starts with, like, this 10-minute intro sequence that's, like, possibly the best part of his entire film of war. I mean, like, that opening sequence is so fucking awesome. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the guy snorts, like, a humongo line of dope that's, like, from, like, it's it's half the size of a warehouse with this huge, like, literal, like, ramp-like thing, and, and then he gets his head blown off by a shotgun, like, seconds later and all the rest. Uh, totally worth watching. Just to even go on YouTube just to watch the intro for that movie because that's, that's good shit. But, um... So I was thinking it was going to be way more frenetic, like, you know... Uh, but all that being said, and having only watched the film once, it is like a 4.75 or a, a 9.5 for me. Like, it, it totally was my, my language, my style, the whole thing. Like, the, the violence, the pathos, the, the just sort of, like, everything about it was just Japanese as fuck. Like, it was untainted as far as foreign influences for the most part, other than, like, maybe Le Samurai and, you know, classic American hard-boiled cop stuff. But the 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 whole nature of the setting and the characters and all that was just, like, reeked of Japan to me. Yeah, and I, it definitely goes to show that you and I definitely have a pattern where it's, like, horror movies, and then it... Or, well, it's not even horror movies. It starts out with Giallo, then goes to horror, and then eventually we're back in Japanese culture again. Yeah. If we were any more weeaboo, we would have anime profile pictures. Yeah, well, I do on Steam, but... That's... That steam doesn't really count. Yeah, I mean, that is Weeaboo Central. So, yeah, I I mean, so Takeshi Kitano is really great. It's his directorial debut. He also stars in it. The Japanese name, just as a little bit of trivia, actually translate to translates to that man being violent, <laughs> also known as warning, this man is wild. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he does, it's like... I think it's really well directed. It's sort of, it's it's kind of slow to start. Like there's a little bit of violence. I mean, he beats up a, a teenager in the very beginning of the film, which is awesome. And I was hoping for way more teenagers <laughs> being beaten by violent cop, but it you don't really know where it's going. Like I I we went into it pretty blind as to the overall threads of the plot, and I sort of figured halfway through like how it was all gonna kind of pan out. But even it, it took some steps in a violent direction that I wasn't expecting it to, like, just... And it, the whole movie is done, too, with this, like, sort of almost document documentary kind of a feel. Like, there's there's not a lot of, like, flash and pizzazz like there is in Takashi Miike. It's way more just, like, the occasional 80s jazz music to give you some emotional backing or this awesome Euro uh, beat, like, high-energy shit in this disco tech sequence. But, like, mostly it's just kind of, like, just going at the pace it's going and not any faster than that. And even when, like, the wild climactic violence happens, it's still just just moving right along, like, at its own pace, 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. There are some really nicely framed, like, art, artistic shots in the movie. Especially at the end. Yeah. That, but, like, last whole... Yeah, I 100% agree. Even yeah. when they're driving to the scene and they both get out of the car and it's the shot from inside the car, or even that, the scene of violence in the discotheque where they're beating up the drug dealers. So all in all, the movie's really about a violent cop who is taking on... I guess like just like a, a drug dealing case. Yeah, it's a it's about corruption and it's about um, it's not even like a yakuza. I mean, they are yakuza in the sense of the Japanese organized crime, but it's not like the flashy cool yakuza. This is not Ichi the Killer with purple suits no. and all this like sequins and all that crazy. It's shit. more realistic yakuza. Yeah, and it's it's very realistic as to like the eighties and basically. So, I mean, I, I guess we took away from it that it was amphetamines that they were primarily smuggling yeah. the whole time. Although, I never know in Japan. And they, I mean, they do do other drugs there, but amphetamines are their, their big thing. And, yeah, he just sort of... And he doesn't even intentionally get involved beyond... The case goes places he doesn't ever intend for it to go. And I don't want to say much more about that, because if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth knowing as little as possible to sort of be able to follow the story with the with the main character because you like there's there's it, the dialogue's minimal so you never know who's thinking what which is like really kind of cool the way they play it because you don't really know like who knows what and who's good and who's bad and all that kind of shit but yeah i mean it's just like a it's a classic crime not even a caper it's like a you know it's a drug crime movie yeah and you know the the dialogue is kind of light as far as it being written to in a way that is, I want to say, more eloquent. It's just, Everything in the movie is straight to the point. Every plot point is straight to the point. It's there to get a job done, and it gets the job done, and it does it well. Yeah. Yeah, there's none of the, uh, you know, sort of dialogue-heavy, hard-boiled thing. Even a lot of those movies might have lighter dialogue, but oftentimes the anti-heroes have some level of charisma, and... Takeshi Kitano's character has like almost zero charisma. He's got he's got it as far as like you know he's the violent cop and you're kind of rooting for yeah. him because he's just like he's one of those. Basically, I mean his character is like he's got to be cruel because he exists in a cruel world and to be anything less would be foolish and to kid yourself is to you know basically deceive yourself as to what the world needs as far as cops, yada yada yada, but um. He doesn't just jabber about it. Like, the most he does is ask people for money and shit like that. <laughs> like, oh, it's really good. So, yeah, it was definitely, it was cool. We, we, we're going to probably have some strange Japanese films getting reviewed in the next couple months. Our, our next episode is going to definitely have another Japanese film being reviewed. And then if uh, if it pans out, we'll probably be reviewing one of two films by a, a Japanese cyberpunk director who only did two uh, full-length films, both of which are supposed to be quite weird and should be a lot of fun to both watch and review. So we'll and I can that. guarantee you in our next few Bearded Dicks musical fun time episodes, I'm probably going to be recommending some Japanese shit just because that's where I'm at right now. Mm. We had our Halloween horror movie party that we have every year, and... Part of me, I don't, I don't know what it is. Every time we do it before Halloween, I feel like after the party, Halloween's almost over for me yeah. already. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm an adult That's now. That's the highlight. Yeah. So, yeah, now it's just like straight anime for me. <laughs> yeah. I know, which is pretty much, pretty much our routine. By winter time, we get back into anime. 
We'll probably give JoJo another stab. Hell yeah. Try to get further into that series. Which we, we love JoJo. It's not like JoJo's not doing it for us. We just can't ever seem to follow it. There's <laughs> so much. And then I just kind of watch want to watch Evangelion again, you know? Oh, man. I know. So I just got to get sick, and we can do it all in one weekend. <laughs> right? Again. But, um, yeah, so up next we've got our interview with uh, Mike, and it's it's interesting stuff. So we hope you guys really enjoy this. We had a, a lot of fun uh, doing the interview, and we hope... We're hoping that in the future we can do things like this again and bring you guys firsthand accounts, knowledge, inside information about all things weird, dark, sexual, depraved, etc., etc. So if you enjoyed uh, enjoyed the interview, then <clears throat> send us some feedback. Let us know on Instagram. Let us know on uh, the Gmail or the Facebook or whatever. Put a comment on the SoundCloud page, you know, whatever. Let us know. And if there's uh, anybody in particular you want us to try to reach out to to get on the show, we'll do that too. We'll so. try, but we're not making any promises. Yeah. yeah. We just get a mention like, you should, you guys should interview Bill Clinton. I'm like, how the fuck are we going to interview Bill Clinton? We'll just send him dick pics. No, I'll send him tit pics. Tit pics. We gotta get we gotta get Flex back on this. She can lure. I mean, she's dead. I mean, she's not dead. Yeah. So yeah, we could totally get her. Back on the podcast. Uh, wink. Uh, I shouldn't have said wink out no, loud. Don't wad that out. Anyway, here's the interview, guys. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Hello. Hey, what's up, Mike? So, how you been, man? I've been pretty good. Good. Been uh, busy as hell. <laughs> With work or just but, uh, all sorts of good. shit? Yeah, everything. Like personal shit, music shit work trying to do it all at the same time keeps me busy for sure yeah i hear that so all right well then we'll uh we'll get started so welcome to uh motel hell and uh i guess you want to do the intros ben my name is ben the beardo i am joined by dick fetty in front of me and then we are we we have the illustrious illustrious mike with us on the phone who is uh, our guest we've been trying to get. But uh, we're going to just get straight into it tonight because Mike's a busy guy. And um, he's a, a crime scene cleanup technician. Is that the right term? or? Yeah, that's correct. Hello, everyone. <laughs> so welcome, Mike. It's awesome to have you on here. I'm super stoked we get to do this. Yeah, me too. I'm sorry for pushing the date back so long. It's just unpredictable to schedule things. Well, absolutely. I, I totally understand. And we're always, we, we, we plan in advance, but then everything winds up last minute. So it's like every Tuesday rolls around and we're like, okay, what are we doing tonight? What exactly are we going to research in the next 12 hours? So, um, yeah. yeah, so no problem at all. So, uh, I mean, what by way of introductions do you want to give yourself, if any? Well, for people who are listening, uh, uh born and raised in the Bay Area in California, and I've uh, been playing music for a long time, forever practically, and um, before I was playing electronic music, I was uh, unemployed for a while, and I had to turn my life to uh, it was just sort of a personal interest, and um, I didn't get the job then, so I worked an office job for seven years, 
and that's when I, in my free time, started doing uh, striations. Yeah, that's awesome. So let me ask you first, um, as far as, before we get into the nitty gritty of the job, did you, was your interest like with striations and all that something that led you to want to do the work or did the interest in the work come before that? Yeah, it was before I had even come up with the name for it, that I had already applied for the job and sent the box and everything. That was in 2010. Okay. So I, I didn't really start doing the music stuff until like later that that same year, and it didn't really materialize into something that I started naming until 2011. So it, it's it's something that validates, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, all the imagery and uh, all of the ideas that go into the music, but. And what do you mean by a uh, different perspective? Well, um, I guess by that, having having the idea that this is what I wanted to, wanted my life to be. Okay. Because a lot of people, a lot of people are like, "Well, why the why the fuck do you want that?" <laughs> Something like that. You know what I mean? Or like, no, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm allowed to cuss. No, oh no, you can to, you can curse till the cows come home, my man. <laughs> Can you repeat that last part just because you're breaking up a little bit? necromantic type of obsession of with romantic obsession with the dead or is it more of something like uh i mean i'm i'm half joking but uh you know like i i don't know like what obsession you might be the to, wrong you word have, yeah it, i would say so i mean you have to have that extra kind of obsessive uh element to to truly you know subject yourself to this stuff day after after day like when you're cleaning jail cells, uh, it's very dismal and it's not fun. And you question, you know, why am I doing this? And for me, just being in the in the environment is enough to, 
you know, make me happy. So I don't think that's normal. You know, that's not like, <laughs> that's not like something that like people, you know, are, are into or like they, they're not gonna, they're, they're into it, the idea of it, but when you're actually doing it, it's too much for them. Yeah, conf- so, confronted with the reality, uh, it's a whole different story. Yeah, and, and um, be, uh, beyond uh, just being told what to do and surviving through it, being a leader or being in a person that is good at it, developing your technique and style um, is something that you, it takes that extra it's not just a job it's like my life type thing mm-hmm. so so it is it does come from that and the imagery of, of horror films is something that came to me at a young younger age and has always stuck with me it's it's just like violence in society violence in the mind mm-hmm. and how long have you been doing now six months nine months Actually, September was my one-year anniversary. Oh, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, so it was uh, September 11th, uh, 2018. <laughs> uh, 2017 was my training day. No shit. And that was, yeah, and that was, that was on a Monday. And I remember that was Monday, September the 11th, because I went to this, like, coffee place on my way to the training. Mm-hmm. And the coffee place is closed. And I'm like, what the fuck coffee place is closed on a Monday morning? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, I, f- I feel like I'm forgetting something that I'm not supposed to forget today. What is it? <laughs> Although you have a, a personal interest. Now, I forget. Well, I think we were talking about it uh, when I was in L.A. in the summertime. Is it going to be in the next Nefarious um, or the next design that you do? Or is it going to be, or was it already in the last one, the... The interview with the regarding nine eleven and all that stuff because you you told me a lot and, about yeah um in issue, it's not out yet not done yet okay uh, in issue two of my zine I'm interviewing a paramedic first responder on nine eleven so so it's it's like a weird and kind of especially for your interests like a, a an extra weird bit of serendipity or or uh, coincidence that you wound up with your dream starting your dream job. On, on that same day. Yeah, no, that was a huge motivator for me too, to take it seriously and to not, uh, you know, it's not just another job, it's something that you really have to take seriously in order to succeed, and that was kind of like a, a grounding point for me, like, this on this date, 3,000 people died, you know? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So fucking dot, square, you know, cross your keys and dot your eyes, so to speak. So. Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've. But that was just a completely different company, and that company uh, ended up not scheduling me after they hired me and trained me. And that company is in the process of dissolving right now. And since I'm, I've become the supervisor, I actually interviewed one of their employees that quit or got fired. We ended up not hiring him, but it was so. It was even more ironic to go from. Oh, yeah, and on that training day, I spilled the pig blood in the guy's front seat of his truck on the way to the training exercise. So, he didn't schedule me, and then I called him, and he said, you don't have a vehicle, and I said, you 
interviewed me three times and hired me again, asked me if I had my own vehicle. People don't normally use their own vehicles to do this type of work. Yeah, right. Um, um, what the fuck is your problem, dude? And he's all, well, call, get a, call me back when you get a car, is what he said to me. So I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, I kind of went into panic mode, and I was, like, looking on Craigslist <laughs> at this, like, pickup truck that had, like, a broken air conditioner, and I was going to buy it for, like, $2,000. I texted my dad, and I was like, Dad, who I hadn't talked to in about three years. <laughs> I was like, Dad, uh, I'm about to buy a, a used truck with broken air conditioning. Can I borrow your car? <laughs> and, and he was like, sure. And so I was like, okay, great. So I got to go all the way to Monterey, which is three hours from Oakland, on public transit, which takes longer than three hours. Oh, yeah. And so I finally get there. And um, he was like, well, so why do you need my car? And I'm like, well, I'm a crime scene cleaner now. And he was like, are you fucking serious? I <laughs> like that. But he was basically like, uh, I can't believe that. You know, like, that's remarkable. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so I hand him the fold-up Kinko's printout brochure of that company. I will give their name. It's Advanced Crime Scene Restoration out of El Cerrito, California. And um, they, they're in the process of, of losing out right now. I mean, I don't know what where they're at right now, but uh, they weren't putting their employees on the books. So he had no intention of giving me a job anyway. Mm-hmm. So after I get the vehicle, I call this guy and I'm like, okay, what's up, dude? I got the car. What now? And he's all, I'll call you Friday if at all, is what he told me then. So then I knew, okay, so I really don't have this job. This is, this is bullshit. So, uh, and this is after our training day that he paid me $30 cash for after I had spilled the pig's blood in the front seat of his car. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I call my current boss cause I have his number and I'm like, uh, what's good, man. You know, I actually left a message. He didn't answer cause he doesn't, he gets wackos calling him all the time for, you know, jobs or ad, trying to sell him shit, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's not the easiest guy to get a hold of. Um, even though he does answer the phone 24 hours. But um, he he called me back the next day, and, and that was when he gave, offered me the job. So it was a really stressful and weird sequence of events that started it out. But it sounds like you wound up dodging a figurative bullet and wound up with the right company, so... Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just luck, to be honest, that it worked out like that, you know? Yeah it kind of proved to my boss how far I was willing to go to actually do the job. Mm -hmm. And he hadn't seen that in other employees and he actually had fired some guy the day before. So it was a weird timing thing. Like he had just fired a guy that day and I left him the voicemail that night. So it was just a weird fucking timing thing. Yeah. It's, it's weird how often in life it all comes down to just like a happy, sequencer of events or lucky timing 
So is the is the smell the hardest part, or is it the whole visual? Is it the combination the of everything? Part of my job is driving in traffic. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> East Bay traffic, I'm sure, is a nightmare. How far is your reach for your company? Uh, we do we do seven and a half, eight counties. Okay. So it, it's a pretty it's like a three hour stretch from you know, and that's only like the Bay Area spatially allows us to function that way mm -hmm. it, it's really in each of like the epicenter of the Bay Area that has made the company a viable uh, business model and um, in addition to the seven counties that we service we also do uh, jobs on the fly like if the price is right we can fly out for anything and some of our contracts that we have involved flying out to other states to do cleanup jobs. Wow, okay. So do they pick you because of your, your reputation or just because it's like works for you guys and it works for them or? Uh, both. I say both because um, it's kind of a high profile company but also uh, we set up the our contracts are low bid. So okay. Uh, we, we give them the, the lowest price possible for the maximum outcome. Okay. So what what are um, what do you do as far as I mean I guess give us a general overview then of your uh, your duties and such or like the the sort of scenes you clean up if you could. Well, earlier today I cleaned up a gunshot homicide, and I uh, yesterday I cleaned up a gunshot suicide. And two weeks ago, I cleaned up a suicide at a gun range where someone signed up for a shooting lesson and shot themselves in the head. And I cleaned, yesterday I was in uh, McGuire Jail in Redwood City for seven hours, cleaning five different jail cells. But everything from spoiled milk to feces. Oof. Um, yeah, feces doesn't bother me. <laughs> um, I clean, I clean feet, clean homeless people's shit from children's parks, Ooh. children's playgrounds. Um, we clean, clean laundry uniforms. Part, part of my strategy with the interview is to not, you know, give away all of our secrets. Yeah, sure. But, um, like a, a typical day is just either getting woken up at five in the morning or sleeping in, making sure all my tools are squared away. Um, and waiting for the next call to come in. And since I'm a supervisor now, I tend to not have to go to jails as much, but we've been adding more and more jails to the list of facilities that we service, so uh, my time is being spread more between doing the big cleanups, like the decomps, and doing the jails. So you guys don't actually deal with the buys themselves. You guys deal with like the aftermath and everything? Yeah, my, my boss used to have a body removal company also, but um, he ended up folding that company. Um, we only deal with the aftermath. And is that is that because it's like, it is such a biohazard and such a pain, or is it super regulated, or was no, it just not? No, it's a not... chain of custody thing. It's a okay. chain of custody thing. The, the dead bodies are the coroner's property. Yeah. And we can't do anything until the, the coroners are done and the police have released the scene to the family. Yeah, and then they have to be transported, accounted for, and it's just like when they transport drugs from a scene or anything else, right? 
So what's the uh, what's the hardest as far as cleanup goes? Decomps or? Um, I tell you what, man, I've been struggling with this dried shit on the jail walls <laughs> like for the past couple days, and it's like, it. I a, a police officer asked me that same question yesterday, and I told him it's not really what it is; it's just how it's prepared and what surface it's on. Mm-hmm. Um, like brain matter and feces, once it dehydrates, it solidifies and attaches itself to whatever surface it's on. So it's really difficult to have to like rehydrate it and remove it from that surface. Um, brick is, or porous of, you know, anything like that. Yeah, those those are hard to scrub out because the stuff once it dries, it goes inside of the little holes, mm-hmm. and you have to like get your brush in there over and over again, a sort of a rinse and repeat idea. Whereas it, even if it's a huge blood stain, if it's fresh blood, you can literally just wipe it up with a paper towel, and then whatever's left over that has hardened, you hit with the scrub brush. So yeah, so it's. it's, it's, it's a, you, Looks can be deceiving, and it's all about what the what the the thing is, what the contaminant is, and what the surface on is. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean I I get that. I think uh, I would think the tedium of scrubbing shit out of a brick wall would definitely be the most frustrating task <laughs> I could imagine. So that's kind of like in the army when they make you you know uh, clean the latrine with a toothbrush type of thing. Mhm. Yeah. 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 As the old saying goes, I'm not afraid. To my finger in it, but um, I try to avoid contaminating myself at all times. Um, there's only been maybe two or three instances where I've had a glove break and had shit on my hands, and you know, you kind of just have to go, oh, oh well, what the fuck ever, you know? Yeah. It's take, take a moment to spray bleach all over your hand or something. You're good after that. So besides people like, I mean, it sounds like you're sort of in your niche and, you know, if I can say dream job, um, you know, really kind of there, but do you guys have a high turnover with other employees because of the, the nature of the work? Yeah, or? absolutely. And, and when they see, it's funny because when they see someone like my profile as their superior, mm-hmm. they don't like that either. You know, they think, oh, this young kid is my boss, you know, and it's like, it's hard to be in that position and be the bigger person because you have to like explain to this this old fart or whoever my crazy retard my boss is hired <laughs> like hey dude I'm in control here not you yeah. shut your fucking mouth and listen to me you know what I mean yeah absolutely it, 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 it's hard for people to uh, to get on board with that it, it goes against like everything that they you know think you know Absolutely. So unless they're unless they're like super into the job, then if that whole dynamic and not getting paid as much as they think they should, and then oh yeah, the work is fucking extremely difficult. On top of that, yeah, most people will will whip out or will not last more than two months. And even the person who was in a pretty good spot still only lasted four months. So it, it's. It's, it, at the end of the day, it really boils down to a question of motivation. Mm-hmm. 
Are you doing this to just try to thinking you're going to earn a quick buck doing something in in the interim versus are you willing to work hard and get, you know, paid for a hard day's work kind of thing, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. I try to explain it to the new hires now. Like, the job is kind of like on par with teaching because teach, teachers do a huge service to society and they really don't get the monetary return that they deserve. Yeah. But they do it because they love what they do. And crime scene cleanup is the same thing, especially in the Bay Area, California, where we have such a incredibly, I don't know, difficult economic environment where everything is so expensive here. Having a mom and pop crime scene cleaning company is not easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not easy, and money doesn't go on trees either. And people think, well, it's Neil, he's rich, right? And it's like, dude, if you had your own company for 23 years and you might have a button too, that doesn't mean that it's okay for you to be a jackass. You right. know what I mean? And do, do whatever you want with the company credit card or whatever. Or I come up with excuses for poor workmanship. Oh, well, I didn't have this tool. Or I didn't have a wet dry vacuum cleaner. Or I didn't have this right scrub brush. Or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you can go shopping at Home Depot all you want. But at the end of the day, it's only your mind is going to get you through to the end of that job. Yeah. Where if you're happy, the client's happy, and my boss, whatever. Mike, I, I honestly, when Frank had brought this idea up for me to me for an episode, I honestly thought you were going to have a much more like grizzled New York, like I've seen so much voice. And instead, I've got a very pleasant gentleman on the phone right now with a very nice, calming voice. <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to look at the episode and be like, ooh, crime scene cleanup. I bet this guy's like real nitty gritty. And then you get the very pleasant Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, well, thanks, Ben. The, I have been to New York City before. It's a beautiful city, and I do love their accents. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting place. I, it's more of a human zoo than anything to <laughs> me, but... Uh, I mean, I don't know how you do it. Like, I love, I have to say, the Bay Area is my favorite part of the United States, but I I still think living there would be tough because, I mean, just being out there this past summer, like, I'm reminded of just the insanity of the traffic. I mean, Jersey's no picnic as far as traffic goes, but, like, I mean, Jesus Christ, it's just brutal. Well, um, in that jail cleanup I did yesterday, one of the inmates asked my coworker, worker as this, he's a why is Boys sound like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the other inmates was asking, like, uh, oh, is your partner a male or female or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. People love to ask my gender. Like, my voice sounds high pitch, even on the phone, too. That's something <laughs> I've had to overcome, too, because people assume that I'm 12 or some shit. <laughs> like, I have to, like, I have to like carry myself carefully yeah. because of how I look and how my voice sounds. In other jobs, you don't have to worry about that shit. But when you're talking to inmates and police officers and family members that you're trying to sell this price to for cleaning up their dead, whatever the you know, mother, father, whatever, you ha- you have to walk that line very carefully. And some, a lot of clients actually uh, do appreciate when they look at me they kind of have turned their head and go, oh, this guy has to clean up my my dead <laughs> family member. But if it was some burly New York guy, then they would be like, get the fuck out of my house. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah that's so, very true. 
Well, it's, it's it, part of the strategy. Yeah. It's funny because, I mean, I can really relate, especially when I first started practicing law. I was a relatively fresh-faced, you know, 20, what was I, 25, 25-year-old, 26-year-old. And I was, a lot of my clients are like, you know, minimally the mid-30s, but mostly like 40s, 50s, and even 60s and 70s. And it's like, I'm going to be handling the most important thing in their life, so I have to conduct myself and have the proper comportment so that they have faith that I'm going to get the job done, that I know what I'm talking about. And like, you know, learning how to assert yourself when you are the one in charge, but you've, you know, it's sort of like you learn from experience. So, I mean, doing it for a year now, I'm sure you feel much more comfortable than you did six months ago. And I know for me, it took like about a year and a half to really be in a place where I could say stuff to people that they didn't want to hear and say it with authority because it was like, I'm your lawyer. Like you're paying me to give you this advice so you might want to listen to what I have to say despite how old I am because I fucking know it and you don't. And that's why I have a law degree and you don't. And that's why you're <laughs> here, you know, like. Yeah. So I totally yeah. get that. Yeah, you got you to gotta be able to switch hats. And coming from a law firm when I'm around the same 12 people every day, it's hard for me. It's taken me a while to, to open up, you know. Mm-hmm. Working in jails has helped because you're kind of burying your soul in there. Mm-hmm. And the guards are always in there, so it's like they're home to them. So over time, you develop a working relationship, and through there, you get more comfortable, and you're able to, you know, communicate better and assert yourself better. Yeah, and find I am more comfortable now. Um, the uh, Yesterday, or earlier today, the gunshot homicide, I was literally, like, walking onto the scene, and because I've done it a hundred times now, and the lead officer on scene is like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you doing, buddy? Blah, blah, blah!" Giving me that whole routine. <laughs> and, and I'm like, "He's like, you don't have permission to be here, blah." And I'm like, "Yo, crime scene cleaners, ace!" Like, and it's like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm walking quickly towards scene. I want to clean the shit up and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, right. And this was not less than five minutes after his superiors had called my boss saying, "Where the hell are you guys?" Yeah, right. So it's like, it's hard to put on the different hats because we're, we're second responder. It's our responsibility to be there ASAP. And sometimes we do show up before the coroners and we do see bodies. I've seen 10 or 11 of them or more. I, can, I literally lost count. But um, uh, I am more comfortable now. I walked onto that scene this morning confidently, ready to do the job and take care of it and they're giving me like the runaround kind of and it's frustrating to be in that situation and you just have to play it cool and not like come off like weird and just be like okay bye I'll call me when you're ready dudes you know what I mean yeah. like <laughs> no skin off my nose and then regarding the barrier <laughs> traffic I, yes the day before yesterday I did the motorcycle versus the vehicle <laughs> and it wasn't a fatal accident, but the guy's face apparently was embedded in the car. Oof. But on the way to that, it was on a Sunday. Or it was this was Sunday, so two days ago. On the way to this, not even a fucking work day. There's three traffic accidents on the way to this, and it's basically cleared off traffic on a Sunday for like an over an hour. Yeah. Do you just throw and, your? And I'm responding to a traffic accident. So. Do, do you throw your card out the window when you pass the other accidents? <laughs> <laughs> it's very tempting. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I I do it for a different reason, but I have. We don't work with Highway Patrol anymore because they don't pay their bills. Really? I can kind of see that. I guess nobody wants to pay their tickets, so they're not getting paid either. So. (laughs) It's got something to do with them being bankrolled by California, and because it's such a specialized cleanup job, they just kind of lose the paperwork, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, it sounds like if you're picking up the the jails and the prisons and whatnot, there's probably going to be no shortage of uh, work from that. I would think so. No loss. They keep us busy. We have employees that are I don't want to say dedicated to the jails, but we have so much jail work that we have to have people to fill the need. Yeah. So, and on the flip side. Not every crime is a, is a high-profile murder or a big blood stain. You know, lots of times there's days when we don't have calls at all. Lots of times there's days when someone vomited or someone shatted, you know, or whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like you got to pick up a bag full of needles from a police department. You know, or some, you know, it's not what you think it is. And yeah. You just have to be patient and wait for when the real stuff happens, and you got to be ready for it. It's not always guts and gore, so to speak. No. No. I mean, I wish it is. It's nice when it is. I can tell you that much. Like, the past... Like, I actually did a road trip a couple days ago that took me to New Orleans and Louisiana. And I was cleaning blood there. Then I came home, and ever since I've been home, it's been three big blood cleanups and one big jail call. So I've I've been pretty happy, actually, the past couple days. It's it's uh, it's funny that you say that. Uh, we have a friend uh, who is a first responder. He does EMS, and then I have a relative who used to be an EMS. And they always, every time they get together, they always, you know, swap stories and everything. And they always talk about how they'd much prefer to have like the truly insane scene versus just like somebody's calling because they have a fucking headache or some shit. Yeah, or they're drunk and they mm-hmm. fell down or whatever bullshit. I mean, it's not even monetary stuff aside, where it's a specialized skill that we have and it feels bad and you're doing work that's below what you're really trained and Capable. ready to do. Yeah. But I think, but, I mean, you, you spoke yeah. to what I imagine will help you and continue to help you in the future is like, you know, you got pride in your work, which is just like, I think in any field, something that only the small percentage of people have. So, you know, even if it is that shitty job, it's like doing it right is, is some kind of a fulfillment. And like you said, it's a, you're basically doing in part a civil service. I mean, you're getting obviously, uh, you know, paid for it, but it's, it doesn't mean it's not a civil service. It's like... Who wants to deal with that shit? Most people don't, you know? No pun yeah. intended. But uh, let me let me ask you, I, unless Ben's got more questions too, I, the one question that I have is, I don't know if there's any particular... Well, I guess maybe two questions. So the, the one would be, are there any scenes that stick out in your mind as being just particularly, like, good, bad, somewhere, weird, whatever? And then the other is, has there ever just been, like, incidences of... I don't know, ridiculousness, like hilariousness, just like things going so awry that your head spins, or? <laughs> well, um, it's hard to answer those two questions because it ha- both of those things basically happen every day. Yeah. So it's hard to uh, isolate anything. Um, 
I will say that going in the hoarding houses is Ooh. bizarre. Yeah. Because you really see how people live and how people treat each other. And it's beyond an isolated incident. It's like you tell, you can tell they've been living in this house like a clan or something for years. This has been going on for years. Un, unbridled, um, you know, like no supervision. You know what I mean? Like no yeah. motivation to do anything but collect uh, whatever the mind desires. You know, a lot of it is fueled by drug addiction, but the most bizarre ones are the ones that aren't on drugs. The ones that are just fucking crazy people. Yeah. So you see a lot of that, and those are not easy jobs. Those are like seven-day jobs. And when you're doing an eight-hour day slamming garbage in a hoarding house, your shit's flying on you, you're getting smacked in the face, you're, you're drenched in sweat, you're going up dragging trash cans down staircases, throwing shit out the window. I mean, the, the weirdest thing, I guess, um, what is it? Well, yeah, in, in said hoarding house, they had a walk-in closet that was a litter box. It was literally just an empty walk-in closet with about 10 buckets of litter poured on the floor. Mm. And they just left the door open. And they had two or three cats in this house that just went in and out of this walk-in closet to shit and piss whenever they wanted to. Mm. And not on for about three years or longer. No. No, that's fucking nasty. I have cats, and that's fucking nasty. Yeah, I have a cat myself, too. And I was just like, this is... The thing, actually, that pissed me off most about that whole situation was that that area got cleaned without being photographed. And I wanted to post an Instagram thing saying, uh, pet owners beware, uh, clean up after your goddamn pet, or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that would have been a popular post, you know? <laughs> Let me, uh, well, Ben, do you have any other questions before I kind of transfer us over? I mean, no, man. I Thank you for doing this. This has been super interesting. Um, this is something we've been talking about for a while, and it's funny because probably like a week or so before, Brank, Frank actually brought this up, Brank. Brank. Your name is Brank now. I like that. Um, before Brank brought this up, uh, I had actually read an article that was, you know, kind of anonymously written by a few crime scene cleanup guys, and uh, it was, it was, it's, it's very interesting because you know most people don't even think about the aftermath of these things or the humanity of the people who have to deal with it after everything's said and done. So I just want to personally thank you for coming on and. Well, and I, we're going to talk striations, yeah. So we're not. No, no, I'm not yeah. closing it yeah, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah, no problem. I, it, it's, uh, it was always important to me to keep a good perspective on my job and not make it the center of attention everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. I've been hesitant to do an interview about it. And I, I've been interviewing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So l- let me ask you a question, and, and if you don't feel comfortable answering it, we can always just cut this part out. So, um, but from... Like, so my personal philosophy, which I don't really get to too much in the show, but is like, there's this movie called All Night Long 3, and at the end of the day, the sort of idea in the movie is that, like, people are no better than the trash that they throw out, and I generally subscribe to the idea that, like, human beings aren't 
any more special than anything else on this planet. Like, what? <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, I haven't brought this up before on the podcast, but you've definitely brought okay, this up well, on whatever. the podcast. Okay, whatever. So the point of the story is, like, I, you know, to me, it's like, I'm in a field that's all about having empathy for people's situations, but also being able to be rational and give them advice and all the rest. But at times I battle with the idea, like, especially in my personal life of like, you know, what worth, if any, do human beings have? Does that, is that something that, I don't know where you fall on that spectrum as far as if that is like even close to where you're at with it, or is it, you know, does this, does this job in a way like almost dehumanize people when you're, I mean, you're not dealing with the bodies, but like when you deal with the aftermath and the trash of humanity, both on a biological level and then like in a hoarder house, like, I don't know where, if you'd be willing to talk about like your sort of philosophy or mindset on that kind of thing. Well, I don't really, I don't really have one, I guess. I mean, I kind of agree. I agree. I agree that it's not right to put human beings like on some kind of pedestal because look at the things that human beings have done. Yeah, we're very nice and we make babies and and we're like sweet and nice creatures. But my opinion is look at the evidence, you know, before the court. Human beings are kind of filthy animals and and we're, we're, I consider human beings to be primates. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't see a distinction between like a person, you know, and an animal. And some people are very difficult, very, uh, they have very strong opinions about, about people who feel that way. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, they have strong opinions about whether people should be incarcerated or they have strong opinions about the sanctity of life. Mm-hmm. My opinion of the sanctity of life basically is summarized by George Carlin. And George Carlin basically says it's a bunch of shit. <laughs> so I clean shit all day long. So human shit, shit human, the lines get blurred after a while. Yeah, I can believe it. Well, um, I, yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. So that being said, uh, I'm, I'm super interested to talk about, as much as you'd like to discuss, uh, your work with striations and with your label, um, as a, just a personal fan and then, you know, exchanging tapes and stuff over the years. I, I mean, I really enjoy what you do and we've talked on the podcast before. So part of what we do is uh, we now have split it where when I do record reviews and Ben does recommendations for books and comics and video games and shit, we do that as a separate episode. But in the past we used to just have it all together in one super long episode. And I, I covered like the finished noise scene from, my personal experience and, and tried to do a history of it and stuff. So some of our listeners, I think a, a good chunk of our listeners are probably familiar with harsh noise and power electronics at this point. Um, I'd say almost definitely. Yeah. Cause a lot of the people I think that listen to us are from like special interest boards and shit like that. So hopefully they'll know what we're talking about when we talk about power electronics or harsh noise. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your, um, your take on striations and and what you do and why you do it and all that good shit. Yeah. Uh, well, ask me something more specific than that, I guess. Sure. Well, uh, it, it really is just my thing that I do. You know, it's not, it's not 
something that is like, I don't know, a lot of people take the music a, a bit too seriously, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it's hard to have like a good balanced perspective of like, yeah, this is like my thing that I do and it makes me happy and uh, kind of makes other people happy and it's all good, you know, versus, well, I'm an artist now and I'm going to make I'm going to make my tape and then I'm going to release it to the world and it's going to change the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. We're not the uh, uh, transgressive avant-gardist that we often think we are. It's mostly just a bunch of dudes trading a bunch of tapes who all enjoy the same kind of shit, so. So, going off of that, you know, as long as we're on the same page with that, you know, <laughs> then I'm good. I'm good <laughs> with talking about it. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I... I it's something that I've worked very hard for for a very long time with very little return to me directly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that there is a following or there is a fan base is good. Uh, I hope that in future endeavors that the fan base, you know, supports the future endeavors because it, in the fullness of time, I've realized that it's been a huge sacrifice for my personal life, even show up and do this shit mm-hmm. so so um, I, I'm finding each day seems like the first day I've started it's still fresh and new in my mind I still have the inspiration that I had from day one which is all, all too personal to even get into now I realize now that I've been doing this for so long that my personal family life doesn't shouldn't have any effect or persuadence on a listener it should it should be separate mm-hmm. if someone wants to know my personal life they can ask me about it and we can talk about it and a lot of people unfortunately do know certain things about my personal life that are the catalyst for why I do my music but it doesn't have anything to do with uh, uh, political activism or uh, protest or, you know, well, maybe a little bit of protest, but not in the sense of I'm championing for anyone's ideologies or anyone's current or modern way of how they think the world should be interpreted by other people. I'm not doing this to fight anyone else's battle at all. It's completely my own thing. And if anyone has any issue with me not taking their side in an issue just because I'm an artist and make music, I'm completely against that. Fair enough. So one of the things that I think has been, I guess, interesting in this sort of evolution from what I've followed is sort of, I mean, a lot of your releases are sort of self-contained within a subject. And while the sounds, you know, like have evolved and all that, like I especially think of your Vietnam Vietnamization tape and as like being, there's so much, I, I don't know, you put so much work into it beyond just the music, like it was a whole package, and but not with any like answer or obvious motive. Like you just said, like you're not fighting anybody else's battle. I mean, I know that we're not, again, like it's like not to elevate things beyond what they are. Is it, is that, was that like from a place of, I just want to put my interest out there or like I'm just doing this because this is, feels right to me or was it, was it anything more than that or... Yeah, I guess in a way it was kind of a, a, you could call it reactionary to the current 
state of 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 focus of the of the project mm-hmm. specifically, or of the greater social climate of what things are going right now, as far as the art and music scenes are concerned, or what the what everyone's putting their eyes on and reading and con- reading about and concerned about. It was a throwback to old problems. But at the end of the day, it was something really that I did completely for myself, and it was only self-motivated. And, and the idea of the Vietnam tape is as old as my job. Like, I had this crazy vision about Vietnam, like, when I was in college, I guess, because I was taking this class, and it, in this class, they showed us that film, Hearts and Minds, in a oh, lecture. Yeah. And after I saw that movie, I kind of walked out of that theater and like looked around at the, I went to school at Davis, UC Davis at that time. And I kind of looked around at like the whole microcosm of society that was around me and it just made me bummed out. Like it just made me really sad. You know, like, like that kind of sadness when you're just like, I, I don't even know why I feel this way. I just feel like it's like a butterfly just got smashed by a semi truck or something. Like I don't know, just like like the in, the innocence of man. The innocence is just gone. You know what I mean? It's just gone. Yeah. You know, there's no like there's no debate anymore about whether people are good or not. Maybe this goes back to the beginning of the the talk that we had. But um, that was like many years ago. That was before striations. And after a while, I knew that I wanted to do a tape on Vietnam because of just the sheer brutality of it. It was originally going to be themed on the Vietnamese prostitute. Mm-hmm. But through going through the subject matter, it just became about the war. So I don't really know what much more to say about it. it. It took me like almost three years to finish, and it's going to be released, re-released on vinyl. So I'm still working on new art pieces. Nice. I might do an art gallery with the art with the art I've made for it. Okay. So. That's fucking sick. That's where I'm at with that. Hell yeah. So on a sort of lighter, not necessarily lighter note, but um. Uh, I'm interested for you. So I, I don't know how often you play live as we're on different coasts and it's, it's always hard to keep track, but like I don't play live that often, but I always find it to be generally pretty fun. And the more I've done it, the less I worry about it. Like it's like, I always want it to be good and we practice and whatever, but it's kind of like we're comfortable with like what we do and how we're going to achieve the result we want. What's the, What's the experience like for you doing that with striations? Because I know some people hate it. Like, I yeah. mean, hate to play live, I should say. Yeah, I I love playing live. I I think it's the the first and foremost purpose of the project. I okay. think recording and tape the second to the live performances at this point in time. The live performance always encapsulates the most immediate feelings and emotions. And the tapes are, you know, the product of months of work and, and uh, critique, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So being from where I'm coming from, I kind of elevate my live performances above anything else. It's, it's uh, I practice pretty hard for it. You know, Mac and Sam practice a lot. We all, three of us, kind of share that collective discipline. Mm-hmm. I think they're more regimented than I am. But when, when I have a show coming, there's no time for artwork and there's no time for writing music. It's rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal for day, day, day after until it can come out. It can, the flow is right. It's all about the flow. And, and the flow is on the tape, but it's a different type of flow. The, the live performance is, in, is uh, integral. It's absolutely integral yeah. to, to, to doing the music effectively. If you can't get up there and be comfortable and cozy and, and do it right from start to finish, then it says a lot about the person who's making the music. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think I think a lot of Brian McCullough and his theory that, you know, the medium is the message and the medium of live music versus the medium of recorded music. I mean, it's a different headspace. They they suggest different things. They have a different purpose. Like, the intrinsically, like, a live performance intrinsically is different and means something different than a recording, you know, or at least it should, because I, I think, like, there are, not just in noise, but, like, in every genre, those bands that make the live element something that is unique and like necessary and then a lot of bands who like you're like i could just listen to the cd at home or not at all at this point you know what i mean yeah yeah the the person what's it like for me up there is in the beginning it was more laid back because i didn't really it took me about a year to figure out like this is something I'm doing for fun to experiment to. This is something that is actually like kind of my thing. Like, yeah. Not my thing, but like something that I, that speaks to me. Something that is like, something that I can develop. Mm-hmm. So once you get, once you realize that, then like the live performances kind of change the dynamic from like a more passive to a more aggressive uh, approach to the sound and music and then which you, if you are the type of electronic person that wants to do a more conducted or more composed set then it's a lot of repetition in order to get the sounds you know down pat each different time for each different separate song yeah absolutely so, yeah so um through that process you know, it's it's rare to play to get a good show. You have to play a show with a nice PA system to make it worth it. And then there's just the practice of doing it over and over again over the course of however many years until you get to that point where you know, you know what you're doing up there, and it feels good to kind of be at that point. Now, the last show I played was with Brighter Death Now, which is you know cool to be able to open for them. And I felt like my set that night was exactly what I wanted it to be. And it's literally taken me six years or longer to get to that point. So yeah, it feels really good. I you hear- know, like when when you when it's good in your own head, and the audience perspective is completely secondary to that. Yeah, because you set out what you accomplished to do. I mean, it's, I I think we talked a little bit about it, like, you know, happily, sort of, to me, you miss the, uh, 
the tech issues that we had that first night of Ride for Revenge in, in um, back in June. But it was it was sort of interesting because we wound up doing a really quickly planned show a month later in Brooklyn once I got back from my West Coast excursion. And we played the same set and we, we had rehearsed it like substantially and were ready to go with it. It was just like the fucking, you know, part of the gear f- stopped working so it made it hard to do it. But uh, when we, we played it in New York, it was like... I was playing for a crowd of people that had never heard Power Electronics for the most part and had no idea what was happening and were not particularly interested in what we were doing. But it was like, from my perspective, we just accomplished exactly what we had set out to do. Like, this was what we wanted. This is how we wanted. It sounded even better than that. And, you know, it's just like a job well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have, do you want to talk about, I don't know if there's anything on the horizon you want to mention either show-wise or um, releases or anything like that before we, we wrap things up? Yeah, uh, there's going to be a tour in February with Human Agony. Oh, fuck yeah. And uh, there, there's another band on on tour. Hold on. Look, I have to double check that. Because uh, yeah, I tour in February, and that's going to be North Pacific Northwest, so it's uh, in Seattle and two dates in Canada. Okay. But, yeah, renewed for that. Um, the cassette tape that I'm on that I did the intros for for them is being reissued on Invictus Productions. Oh, nice. So I'm pretty happy about that. I hope people look out for the release of that tape and buy it when it comes out because there was a lot of people that didn't get the original pressing because it was only 150 copies. Um, the last, um, oh yeah, Ulu Latum from Portland. I don't think I know them. Yeah, they're the other band that's put, that's doing the tour with us. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So, um, tour in February. I'd like to plan a full U.S. tour at some point, but it's more of a matter of finding another person to do that with than anything else at this point. Yeah. I have a few people in mind for it, but I'm not really sure I'm ready to make the commitment yet because of financial reasons. So, I'll... I'm just taking it slow, but I but that's a goal. And then there's going to be a full-length album, the first real full-length album coming, because I really kind of consider the couple longer tapes or full-length so far to be more demos. So the first real proper full-length album is going to be released in 2019, so I'm happy about that. That's fucking awesome, man. Yeah. The, also, the last cassette I did called Trauma Code, I'm doing two more of those tapes in the same style and theme. Nice. So there's going to be Trauma Code 2 and then Trauma Code 3. And then once all three of them are out, there's going to be a, that label Black Psychosis. I, I believe I'm going to work with them to do the art edition of all three tapes. And I want the art editions of that to come with... Uh, you know, parts from scenes that I've cleaned up. Okay. Well, you're working with the right person if you're working with Cy, because he, you know, he did that um, 
one tape we did together with him and he like he fucking busted his ass to make all that art come together the way it did so yeah he contacted me pretty recently um and he said that he wanted to do a tape that would have like art edition uh like he wanted to basically do like an art tape like the same one he did for you kind of like yeah a similar approach so that was my idea for it was to kind of bring it all together do something do something like yeah exactly yeah because yeah. the other two trauma code tapes are also going to be on gutter bloat i okay. think pretty sure so and those are going to be out pretty soon yeah. those are those are i don't really consider those those are more like harsh noise mm-hmm. they're not really the power electronics they're more like the harsh noise so that stuff doesn't take me as long to be happy with <laughs> i feel that it's a little bit more of an ephemeral kind of a sound. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, from a from a point of view, I'm more comfortable with improvisation in that style. And when I practice in that style, it helps me develop my other stuff. Yeah. So it, 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 through making it, it also gets me more excited about that type of music, which I'm also a big fan of. Because a lot of times I have times where I'm only listening to one genre or the other, you know? So yeah. I like to mix it up a little bit. Absolutely. Every time I try to make harsh noise, I'm always reminded of why... I mean, a lot of people say that our shit is harsh noise with just vocals, but I think making good harsh noise is a unique skill set all on its own, and they definitely have overlap, but it's... It's not my bag. I always just want to sort of sound like old taint and mania and whatever, and I'm not that good. So I just keep, uh, I keep not releasing that shit. That goes in the vaults. So, yeah. But, uh, well, I appreciate all. uh, I appreciate it. Um, well, thank you so much again, Mike, for joining us tonight. It's, it's really nice to get more, uh, insight into striations and, and to get to hear, about your work um, professionally. I mean, I've been following the pictures on Instagram, which are when they pop up, and it's always a delight. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for making it. No oh. problem. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, it was crazy to go from being a person looking at those photos to being the person who's responsible <laughs> for taking them. <laughs> um, but it, uh, I, I told my boss, because a lot of times he questions my dedication to my music, or not questions, but he's just taken back by it because he's like, wait, you did what? Or you did that? Or you spent how much on what? And um, I always have to remind him, like, if it wasn't for my dedication and the experiences that I've gotten from my music stuff, that I wouldn't even be able to do this for you at all, you know? So you really have to have that full perspective in, in order to do it. You know, if I didn't have, you know, because the language of power electronics and noise is like violent imagery, and these are things that I'm comfortable looking at, and and it's not a far stretch from looking at it, just handling it. If you're the right type of person, then it's no big deal. So, but it motiv- my work motivates my art. My art motivates my music, or my my art motivates my work. It's like a, it's a, it's a yin and a yang. And it's fucking weird to be in that place. It's, you know, it's weird because a lot of people, you know, stress real hard about their jobs. You know, I certainly did for a very long time. 
you know, and it's like, I think it's everyone's goal to do something that they love. But the real scary thing, though, is once you get to that point, there's moments where you're like, oh, fuck. Like, is this really what I love? Or is this just, like, completely too much for me? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And um, I don't mean so much being able to put up with it, but just the whole thing. You know what I mean? Just the whole entire thing. You know? And so it, it's, you know, I'm fully dedicated to it. So it, by it, I mean both things at the same fucking time. So anyway, yeah, it was really great to talk to you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Mike. Uh, is there anything you want to plug in Instagram, your label, website, whatever? Yes, the, the Instagram is Nefarious Activities. That is also my label, which I am struggling to get started. <laughs> I mean, I've released some things. I released one zine, some tapes, and some CDs. I'd like to get things, I'd like to get the wheels turning, so to speak, but with my job, it's hard to establish a daily routine of working on stuff, corresponding with people, um, and I take each piece of correspondence and each piece of whatever I'm working on so seriously that it's really draining and takes a lot of energy so the label stuff is when I have time for it I work on it and I don't compromise anything so it takes a very long time to do anything so follow Instagram and you know unfortunately that's like the new medium now which is I guess doesn't really matter we had a conversation about this the other day and I guess Instagram is like the new internet now, and you know, a lot of a lot of us have used the internet since day one to promote ourselves or to promote our art or whatever. So, yeah, just various activities on Instagram. You can see <laughs> photos of my art projects and my work photos that aren't posted on the normal company page for whatever <laughs> reason. So, awesome. All right, brother. Well, okay. we will. Uh, I'll talk to you, man. Yeah, let's keep in touch. Thank you. Yeah, Appreciate absolutely. It. Thanks. All right, later, Mike. Take care, Ben. You too, man. Bye, guys. Bye. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to our interview with Mike. We hope you enjoyed that. As always, uh, you know, please, if you're enjoying what we do, let us know. Rate and review on iTunes or drop us a comment on SoundCloud. Check us out on our Instagram, which is Motel Health Podcast. And... Ben the Beardo now has an Instagram page. You can tag or uh, him in pictures. You can DM him all sorts of filth. Yeah, if you want to just send me pictures of your naughty bits, if you want to send me cool things to find on Instagram because I'm new to it and I'm essentially an old man when it comes to social media outside of Facebook. Yeah, which makes you an old man. And I am at Ben the Beardo, real cut and dry. And I'm still at Concrete Mascara. And Flex Luxa, who's definitely not dead, is still at queensad.jpg. So thanks again. Uh, We hope to be back with more interviews in the future. And next week's topic, I think we're going to be doing suicide We're going to be Japanese serial killers, a little bit of suicide club stuff. It'll it'll be fun, guys. It's going to be good. So until next time, we will... Uh, talk talk later. <laughs> later nerds. Later nerds.